0: Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Lin. Noble Warrior is where I interview heart center entrepreneurs about their spiritual disciplines, what we'll deconstruct their mindset, their mental models, actionable tactics, so you can take everything that you learn and engineer your life, your business with more impact and fulfillment. Of course, if you have any friends who could use more inspiration and specifically more sleep optimization tactics, please share this with them. They'll really thank you for it. My next guest is Michael Bruce. He's America's most trusted sleep doctor. He has authored three best-selling books. He has 19 years of career. He has treated thousands of patients. He's an expert guest for more than 100 times on shows like Dr. Oz, Oprah, The View, Anderson Cooper. So here's what Dr. Bruce shared with us in this masterclass of sleep optimization. He shared specifically for Entrepreneurs, why sleep deprivation has a really high risk profile for your decision-making and how sleep impacts our mood and spirituality and all other aspects that matters to us as humans. He shared with us why sleep is a fluid situation, not so rigid and naturally waking up without an alarm and say, damn, I got a good night's sleep and wake up feeling refreshed and ready to meet the day is how we want to feel and why eight hours is a myth, and what qualitative and quantitative data we ought to pay attention instead, and why there are four stages of sleep, and which stages we ought to optimize. Let me give you a hint, stage three, four, and REM. According to Dr. Bruce, those are the money stages. So what is the single best way to improve stage three, four, and REM? Before speaking to Dr. Bruce, I had no idea I was chronically sleep deprived. What are the two signs I share with us of sleep deprivation and how to prime our body for a rest. And he has a 20 20 protocol as a way to prepare your body for a rest. For those of you that wants to optimize your sleep even more, so then your sleep hours are more efficient consistency is the key. And he shared with us the answers of the three most common questions that he gets asked. What do I do about waking up in the middle of the night and how to turn off my brain at night before I go to sleep? Lastly, chronotypes, so you fall asleep really quickly and get into deep sleep even faster. And when is best to have sex with your partner? Please enjoy my conversation with Michael Bruce, America's most trusted sleep doctor. Please welcome Michael Bruce.
1: Thanks, CK. Thanks for being here. You forgot to mention that I'm you and I are good friends too. <laughs> so
0: so so I'm actually really excited to to be having a conversation with you because you have fundamentally changed the way I think about sleep. And 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 what a contribution specifically for this thing that I have in my finger here.
1: The ring. Yep.
0: The ring, the, the aura ring. So for before the ring, I thought I was just so gifted with sleep because right. when I my head hits a pillow within a minute I'm out. Right. And then my body automatically gets up after six hours. I was just like, I got the sleep hacking thing down. And I got the ring. Then I was like, oh I was so wrong. <laughs> 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 because I got to look at um, my HRVs, my resting heart rate, you know right. how much I toss and turn. I was like, okay, not good. So but but I wanted to, so I have an audience of biohackers, high performers, flow yep. junkies. So I want to give them a sneak preview before I get into some of the, the more philosophical questions I want to ask you about, okay? Sure. So so I'm going to be asking you in this conversation uh, some of your signature hacks, sure. the four stages of sleep, the 25 minute or 90 minute nap, the consistency equals hype of sleep. Efficiency, progressive muscle relaxation, to how to turn off your brain before you go to sleep, you know, how to, you know, set the mood with good night LEDs and anti-anxiety hacks and so on and so on. But, so that's some of the promises, right? That, that these are your signature hacks. But I want to start off by asking you this question, since you're speaking to an audience of high performers, if you can address why sleep is so important for a
1: high performer for a ceo for an entrepreneur sure. for founder yeah
0: why don't we start there
1: so you know when we when we talk about the fundamentals of performance of energy of intellect of focus of flow right we we have to get ourselves into that state and and if you aren't well slept it's literally impossible to do that right and so I I talk to founders, I talk to entrepreneurs, I talk to biohackers all the time. I am a biohacker, I am a founder, I am an entrepreneur. And, you know, we're all built in sort of this way where it's like high energy, high pace, let's go, let's get shit done, right? And so it's very valuable to have had a great night's sleep because number one, physically, your reaction time is faster. Your movement is quicker. So most of you probably work out, probably helps you reduce your stress. Your your workouts are easier when you when you're well slept, you're, you actually perceive exertion like physical exertion. The more sleep deprived you are, the more it feels like you're working, even if you're pushing the same weight, um, cognitively speaking. You, you can't make decisions without good sleep, right? We, there's lots of data to show that you have a much higher risk profile when you're sleep deprived in terms of your decision making. That could be really bad for an entrepreneur, right? Because you could be overvaluing or undervaluing something. Believe it or not, I've even written articles about how entrepreneurs should sleep and how they can actually use that sleep in unique ways to help them understand uh, new ideas. And then we've also got this whole idea of mood and spirituality and all of those aspects to us as humans and quite frankly they're they're founded in sleep right you know we as my daughter likes to say dad if you don't get enough sleep you're a grumpy fish right? right and so you know that that pretty much holds true um and so we need to also think about it from a spiritual sense in terms of whoever or whatever you connect with you can't do it when you're too tired right um you know I, it's funny i am i've just recently gotten into meditation and for folks out there, CK and I belong to a. Uh, we do breath work together and meditation together. It's it's really pretty cool. But I, I was talking to somebody about it, and they said they would they go on meditation retreats. And one of the things that they find is that most people fall asleep um, during these meditation retreats, right? And so once again, we can't even meditate. Without good rest, and so for me, it's just such a fundamental aspect of everything that we want to do as strivers and as you know people who are being successful and entrepreneurs. Sleep is just a foundational aspect.
0: Yes, I want to underline a few things that I learned from my research. You know, some of the the the, the tidbits i would be sharing in 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 other mm-hmm. um, interviews. One thing that you said: if you lose ninety minutes of sleep. You're gonna drop your cognitive ability, your ability to make a decision, by thirty percent. So that is a huge number, especially for you know leaders, entrepreneurs, executives, yeah. with with when there's they're making high stakes, right, uh, mm-hmm. decisions. So so that's
1: I mean that alone is uh, something to be to to pay attention to. It is, and but there's also a second aspect to it that's important, which is if you lose ninety minutes of sleep, that will absolutely have a cognitive decline the real question becomes how much sleep do you need? Right? Because it's different. And so I'm here to tell all of you out there, eight hours is a fucking myth. Okay. Like it just is. So I'm going to tell you how this, the, the science on it works. The average sleep cycle is 90 minutes long. Okay. And the average human has five of those cycles. Five times 90 is 450 minutes. And then you divide that by 60 to get hours and it's seven and a half hours. The math, doesn't even work for eight Mm -hmm. hours. Right. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that we always we have to we have to divorce ourselves from the idea that there's a set amount of sleep for all humans. There is, but it's personal. And so one of the things that we do is we want to teach people how to develop that personal bedtime, that personal wake up time. Now, there's you can go even deeper because I know you like the details and you can get into people's what's called chronotype. And so a chronotype is actually a genetically predetermined sleep schedule. And so one of the things that I do with all of my entrepreneurs and all of my high performers is we have to discover where is your swim lane, if you will, for sleep. Like, What is that schedule that really works well for just you, where you're falling asleep naturally, waking up probably without an alarm, and waking up feeling refreshed and ready to meet the day? Yeah. So quick question for
0: you about this, because, you know, I'm a biohacker with the aura Ring, right? This is my new shiny object, my, my, my <laughs> new tool, my, my new 2021 uh, yep. resolution. Uh, would you say this is a good tool to optimize for my specific chrom- chronotype? And let me actually be more, a, l- a little bit of context around it. Because in my mind, I, I noticed this, mm-hmm. that the sleep scores or the readiness score that this app gives me, Uh, is optimizing for eight hours. The more I sleep, the higher score I get. So how do I then calibrate for how I feel versus the
1: specific scores? You know what I mean? Yep. I know exactly what you mean. So getting into the details on this. So number one, while I wear an aura ring, let's be very clear. The metric of sleep is highly complicated. So Originally, when we started tracking things, we started tracking things like steps, and steps are very easy to track because all you need to know is the length of your leg and your gait, and my daughter can do the calculus problem and tell you exactly how many steps that you're taking based on time, right? But sleep is a very, very different metric. So number one, we have lots of problems measuring sleep because historically, we put 27 electrodes on people's heads, and then we stick them in a laboratory with a camera on them, which isn't really great for sleep because um, you get the observer effect is uncomfortable exactly. someone is watching you yeah Incredible. yeah right it sucks right mm. and so we we like the idea of moving with less equipment into the home because we have much better operational uh you know not as much influence right as would you have with 27 electrodes attached to you so when you start to look at this as an idea you start to look at trackers, there's only so many pieces of data that they can collect. And they all collect it distally, meaning from a wrist, from a finger, um, on a pad that you're lying on, things like that. So remember, the accuracy of these devices is suspect, okay? Mm-hmm. They're not great, they're not terrible, they're getting better, but they're not great. So when we look at the overall accuracy of the device in terms of your score, this, the generalized rubric of a score, let's say from the Aura Ring, isn't really as important to somebody like me as the details. So you mentioned like things like HRV. So I would be far more interested, not in your overall score from Aura Ring, but I would be much more interested in what's your HRV over the course of a week. And notice, let's say that you went, stayed up late one night and drank alcohol. And how did that affect you? Those are the things that are much more interesting is the detail within them. And to be fair, you need that with all of the trackers. All, the way i teach people how to use trackers is very is very simple you don't want to look at the absolute data you want to mm. look at the relative data right the trends so, yeah right for the exactly the trends mm. and so if if one night you know your ring or your r- bracelet or whatever says you got 12 minutes of rem sleep come on you probably didn't get 12 minutes of rem sleep if it says you got 12 minutes every single night then you really don't have to worry because then you know it's just a malfunction of the device because there's no mm. way you only got 12 minutes of rem sleep but if you got 12, and then you got 411, and then you got, you know, 89, that's the time period you want to look at and see what were you doing before and try to understand what some of those influences are. So when you're looking for perfection for sleep, um, which is kind of a little bit what your crowd likes to do, number one, <laughs> there is no perfection for sleep. But number two is kind of think about uh, when you're looking at your scores, again, relative data, not absolute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I'm gonna go into the more tactical in a bit, but yeah. I think for the sake of our conversation, it would be worthwhile for mm-hmm. the sleep scientists, the biohackers, right? The high performers who is looking for sleep optimization to really think about, uh, well, what are the four stages of sleep so then that, that mm-hmm. way they can think about weight and your know, effectiveness and efficiency.
1: So Absolutely. You know, if you can share that, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the stages of sleep, To be very honest with you, there are some that are important and there are some that really aren't that important, right? So stage one is purely entry. Um, It's like walking through a door. That's pretty much what it is. It lasts for two to 3% of the night. Every time you wake up and you go back to sleep, you kind of enter into it into stage one. Stage two is the preponderance of the night. 50% of your sleep is stage two. Unfortunately, there's not a lot from a biohacker standpoint that's really worthwhile in there. Um, However, stages three and four and stages REM those are the money stages. Those are the ones that we really wanna optimize if we can. Stages three and four, we call it beauty sleep or deep sleep is actually your physical restoration. This is where we have the largest bolus of growth hormone emitted. This is where we have all kinds of cellular repair going on. Um, Also during this particular stage of sleep, we have an interesting thing happening in the brain. Um, So sort of the waste management system of the brain called autophagy pulls out all of those proteins that are in your brain during stage three, four sleep and avoids things like Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. So stage three, four sleep is definitely one of those things that we want to either have at the level that we should see it based on our age and gender, or if we can, optimized, right? What we wanna avoid are the deficits to stage three, four sleep. REM sleep is a little bit different in that we think of stage three, four sleep as physical restoration. REM sleep is mental restoration. So even though the, the proteins are out, now that the proteins are out, stage REM also has information. And so stage REM is moving information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory and creating an organizational substructure inside your brain in order to store information for data retrieval later, right? So if we're going to optimize anything, quite frankly, we want stage three, four, and we want REM. And those are the ones that we really want to kind of focus in on if we can.
0: I. Lo- I- I, I, I love the geekery, you know, <laughs> autophagy, you know, substructures, and I was, I'm smiling because of, you know, so finally, that's awesome. I love it. Great. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So one thing I noticed from the aura Ring report, right? Hey, hey uh, I'm pretty gifted with a deep level of sleep, but RAM mm-hmm. not so much. So is there anything that one could do tactically to say, mm-hmm. optimize more for either
1: deep sleep yeah. or RAM sleep? 100%. So number one, it all depends on your device. So remember, there may be an accuracy issue with a particular stage of sleep in a device. But I understand we want promotion of the two different areas in in the best ways that we can. So there's a couple of things that make a lot of sense. Number one, exercise. So the single best way to improve stages three, four sleep is through exercise. Um, There's a lot of data to suggest this. Regular exercise is good. You don't have to run a marathon. We're talking 20 minutes, like a hit. Uh, but, you know, sort of 20 minutes, high intensity exercise type of thing once a day is really very good for sleep in general. It's one of the easiest ways to improve stage three, four sleep. Um, one of the ways to avoid attacking stage three, four sleep is alcohol. So alcohol, unfortunately, while I like a glass of wine or a scotch, uh, it absolutely beats the shit out of your sleep. Mm. Um, so you really have to think about and, and what we've discovered now is it's the timing of the alcohol. So the moment you stop drinking to the moment you close your eyes, that time period is where the highest level of effectiveness is of alcohol on your sleep. And mm. so it takes the average human approximately one hour to digest one alcoholic beverage. So if you drink one glass of wine, I would recommend drinking one glass of water and wait one hour before sleep. If you drink oh, wow. two glasses of wine, you would want two glasses of water and wait two hours before sleep. Yeah. we really don't want to bypass to the third drink. And I'll tell you why. From a science perspective, one of the things we ne- we know happens is people, when they hit the third drink, actually get energized, not relaxed. So we don't want to get energized before bed. And with men, there's data suggests that at the third drink is where aggression starts. Mm. Again, we don't need to be aggressive at night. We, that's not necessarily going to be a good thing. So if you can limit it to two drinks and follow this guideline, you really shouldn't have much in the way of affecting in your sleep. Lean mm. I is the other big problem when it comes to stage three, four sleep. So what was, the, what was the word that you said? Caffeine. Caffeine. Got it. Yeah. And so and, and to be fair, most entrepreneurs are caffeine junkies. Um they just drink a ton of it. Um and you know they're monsters and they're cokes and they're, you know, coffees and all these other things. So when you start to look at caffeine, the big thing that all the biohackers out there have to understand is caffeine is not a replacement for sleep. Okay. Mm-hmm you cannot drink enough coffee to replace a nap. It does not work. Okay. That being said, what caffeine does is caffeine stimulates the brain um, in a particular area or receptor site. Now, I'm going to get a little geeky on you, but I think you'll love it. So when a cell eats a piece of glucose, something comes out the back end. One of those things is this stuff called adenosine. Adenosine works its way through your system. and goes to a very specific receptor site in your brain And as adenosine accumulates, you get sleepier and sleepier and sleepier, okay? If you look at the molecular structure of adenosine and you look at the molecular structure of caffeine, they're off by one molecule, which in and of itself is kind of philosophically interesting. The substance that is created naturally in your brain to put you to sleep, and then the substance that is created in nature or synthetically that keeps you awake is off by one molecule. So when you think about caffeine, you think about caffeine ingestion, there are a couple things that you wanna think about. Stopping around 2 p.m. makes a lot of sense and here's why. Average half-life is between six and eight hours of caffeine. Most people go to bed around 10. If I can get half of it out of your system, it doesn't appear to have as large an effect on REM sleep. Now, we're going, we're trying to optimize here. So for true optimization, I would say if it's possible to fade caffeine and eliminate it completely, you're gonna be in much better shape from a sleep perspective. Now, mm. that being said, Caffeine's not terrible. Caffeine's not a horrible thing. I'm not against caffeine. If people like caffeine or want to utilize caffeine appropriately, that's fine. Do yourself a favor, though. Don't drink it first thing in the morning. So most people don't know, but sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event. And so just from the humidity in our breath, we lose approximately a liter of water each night. Caffeine's a diuretic. You know, it makes you pee um, and it doesn't hydrate you. So if you're dehydrated when you wake up, number one, you need about 20 ounces of water. That would be absolutely positively the hack of the morning, which is, well, actually I have a whole morning routine and I'll tell you about in a second, but yeah, let's do it. Oh, right now. Okay. So my morning routine is interesting. So when I wake up in the morning, instead of drinking coffee, what I do is I do five deep breaths while lying in my bed, just to wake up my respiratory system and just kind of say, wake up to the world. I then have a big shaker. Next to me with uh, room temperature water, and I do 20 ounces of room temperature water, and I walk over to the window and I get direct sunlight. Okay. To be fair, I'm wearing a robe. I'm just saying I'm wearing a robe. So when I walk over to the window, the reason—that was my best joke. The reason for the sunlight is very simple. So when sun hits, uh, when sunlight hits your eye, you have a particular cell in your eye called melanopsin cells these are incredibly reactive to blue light. This is one of the reasons why we tell people wear blue light blocking glasses to keep lights low in the evenings, things like that. We can use this to our advantage if we wake up in the morning and get direct sunlight because it turns off the melatonin faucet in our brain. That's part of what that morning fog is that so many people out there are suffering with. And they try to get rid of it by downing caffeine. Nothing could be further from the truth. Okay. Downing caffeine does almost nothing for you. Water will absolutely help wake you up and sunlight will absolutely help wake you up. So Mm. when we're again looking at how do we optimize our sleep and our sleep stages in particular, we really want to do things like eliminate caffeine or reduce caffeine as much as possible. Eliminate alcohol, reduce alcohol down as much as possible. But the truth of the matter is there's something that's even easier to do to make sure that you get a little bit more REM sleep and a little bit more deep sleep. That has to do with falling asleep at your chronotypical time, right? And so, you know, that's my big thing. I want people to go to chronoquiz.com and take my quiz and figure it all out. And what we discovered is if you figure out what your animal sleep tribe is, right, which is what my avatars are, you'll discover that it teaches you what time to go to bed so that you fall asleep quickly and get into deep sleep faster. And then you get into REM sleep and get out of it faster. So your body genetically is programmed to sleep at a particular time you don't know what that time is, but I do. And if you mm-hmm. take the quiz, you learn what those time frames are. And then when you start playing around, believe it or not, CK, if you were sleeping, let's say at an, two hours later than, or two hours earlier than your body should have, by pushing your bedtime back, we could actually increase your REM sleep and increase your deep sleep just by getting you in the right swim lane yeah i love that thank you what are the sign of sleep deprivation and
0: i mean let me before you answer let me just quickly uh contextualize this a bit i was the guy who closed his eyes within a few minutes fall asleep during meditation i better. was the guy i was the guy who w- would drive and didn't know like the path i took and then i would arrive and the the, the the destination mm-hmm. really realizing like what the heck did i just you know just do yeah. for the last hour so so but i was in denial of right. the sleep deprivation that I have. So mm-hmm. for those who are listening who may mm-hmm. not know that I'm sleep deprived without the worrying, what would you say are some of the sign
1: of sleep deprivation? Absolutely. So it's funny that you asked me this question because Oprah Winfrey asked me the same question, okay, on her show. And um, and he, I know you and Oprah, right? You guys are like this. <laughs> awesome. and yes. So and so she said to me, she said her her boyfriend, his name is Stedman, and she said he falls asleep in like a minute. And I turned to her and I said, you know, that's bad. She said, what? If pe- The natural process for falling asleep after you close your eyes should take somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. Mm. Right? If you fall asleep like this, that means you're sleep deprived. No question about it. That's it doesn't
0: mean you're especially gifted when it comes
1: to sleep. No, it does not. Although I will tell you that there are a couple of people out there who are just fast sleepers, like they fall asleep quickly, um, who aren't sleep deprived. But generally speaking, if you fall asleep really quick, you could probably use more sleep. There are a couple of mm. other signs of things that we, that tell us about sleep deprivation as well. An- another one is how many times you hit the snooze, right? So that's a really interesting um, a marker, right? Because you might hit it once, but if you're hitting it once, twice, three times, what you're basically saying is, I don't want to get the fuck out of bed. Therefore, I'm probably not getting enough sleep, right? And so thinking about some of those characteristics can can oftentimes be uh, fairly important as well. Um, so I would say snooze button or how quickly you fall asleep would be two signs that you might not know are signs of sleep deprivation.
0: Mm, mm. And of course, when you fall asleep doing meditation, probably something to look at as well.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, like if you like, that's obvious, right? Yawning, um, falling asleep in meetings, anytime you're still, uh, not being able to sit still for long periods of time, all of the things that we would normally see from regular sleep, uh, deprivation is very obvious to people. Um, at least most of the time, but it's funny because a lot of people think, well, I fall asleep quick. I don't have any problems. And I'm like, dude, you need more sleep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also remember the, the, um, it's not just about staying awake as well. Cause I actually took uh, a and these type of like nootropics as a way to not needing sleep or minimizing how much I needed to sleep. Even though I was awake, I was a walking zombie. Like I couldn't actually function optimally. So, uh, and again, I wanna really appreciate that you intentionally or not intentionally uh, transform my life around sleep because the quality you know, eight hours versus six hours. It's so subtle, but it's, it's a huge, dramatic, profound, uh, experience, right? Being, um, is there anything else for that they can pay attention to in terms of the subjective experience of, you know, man, this is awesome. I have enough sleep or it's awesome. I'm actually artificially doing this with caffeine and so on.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things I would say is even needing an alarm clock. You could look at that. Like I haven't used an alarm clock in 20 years, you know, unless I've got a flight. It's like, at you know, five o'clock in the morning where I know I have to be up. And then, of course, I don't know about any of you, but every time I have that happen, I have the shittiest night's sleep ever. I wake up like every hour looking at the clock, waiting to get up at five o'clock or whatever it is.
0: Actually, uh, on that point, um, I was so excited to talk to you. Yeah, I only have five hours of sleep. So I was up by four. Because I was excited. So maybe
1: you can give me a solution to that as well. Cause I wasn't anxious, I was just excited. So yeah. So that happens to me too. Don't feel bad. So number one, sometimes it's okay. Like, you know, the thing to remember is sleep is never perfect for anybody, even for me. Um, I can tell you three or four nights ago, I had a terrible night's sleep. I was concerned about something that was going on with my daughter, and you know, it just was in my mind. That's normal, everyone. Like Please, bees, please understand that sleep is a fluid situation. You know, you don't have the same day every day. You don't have the same sleep every night. Um, And you need to think about it that way. Some nights you might need a little bit more because you did something or didn't get something, you know, sleep the previous night. Some nights you might need a little less. Generally speaking, if you can be consistent, that's the magic. So if you're a biohacker and you really want to figure out the smallest amount of sleep with the highest quality that, that you can get, it's all down to timing and chronotype. I can, mm-hmm. here's what I can tell you happened to me. So I'm a wolf, which is a nighttime night owl. Okay. I don't like going to bed early at all. Quite frankly, to so I don't go to bed before midnight usually, right? I go to bed at midnight very, very consistently. And I would wake up without an alarm at 7.30. Okay. For our breath work. Yes. Exactly, right? Then i and I started doing this for a while, and then all of a sudden, I was naturally waking up at 7 15. still going to bed at midnight, then I was waking up at seven, then it was 645, then it was 630. then it was. 6. I'm still going to bed at midnight, okay? The consistency of my schedule allowed my uh, actually allowed my sleep architecture to condense. I get just as much from a percentage standpoint of REM sleep as I did before. Mm. I just don't have as much stage two. Mm. And so I've actually hacked my schedule. And now there are a couple of other things that we can talk about how people can do. But really, the chron- understanding what your chronotype is and sleeping in that chronotypical swim lane literally condenses and expands your sleep. So it condenses it from a timing standpoint, but it improves it from a quality standpoint. Mm. Um, a couple of other things that I think are really important for the biohacking community to understand about sleep is what I call par levels. So there are certain um, uh, vitamins and minerals that you have in your body that help with sleep. And if they're deficient, it's a problem. So I'm always talking with people about vitamin D, about magnesium, about iron, and about melatonin. Um, And those four are the areas that I think people can look at on on a, a test. Like if you go to your doctor, have a blood test or a saliva test or something like that, you can start to understand those. The reason these are important is simple. So magnesium actually helps with the production of internal melatonin, number one. Um, It also helps calming people down and relaxing people before bed. Um, Obviously, melatonin is a circadian pacemaker, right? And so we want to make sure you have appropriate levels of those. But interestingly enough, vitamin D turns out to not only be very helpful when it comes to COVID, but is actually turning out to be a circadian pacemaker as well. And so what's fascinating about that is, and I mean, from a COVID standpoint, I'm sure you're aware or people should be aware roughly 90% of the fatalities have vitamin D deficiencies. Mm. So for folks out there, like 5,000 international units of vitamin D, check with your doctor first every day, not a bad idea. Um, Also it's very helpful for sleep as is the magnesium as well. For iron, I'm usually looking at my female patients for iron because I have a lot of female patients who can become anemic. And we know that iron has a lot to do with movement and sleep. And so when we see people who are anemic or who have low iron, they twitch a lot, they move Mm -hmm. around in their sleep a lot. And so sometimes using iron supplementation can actually settle that down quite nicely. To be fair, dude, I'm not a big fan of prescription medication. I know that there is a place and a time for that. And I've I've been doing this for 22 years at this point. So I can completely understand and appreciate that there are people out there who need sleeping pills to sleep. I 100% get that. However, I think that there's many people who are on sleeping pills who don't need to be. Yeah. People who have gotten habitually uh, into that loop, and quite frankly, the medical profession has done almost nothing to help people get out of it. Um, I I would argue that the medical profession has been pretty irresponsible uh, in some cases um but what's interesting is now what we're starting to see is more development in the prescription sleep space and i would argue that that's a good idea now you did hear me say i'm not a big fan of prescription meds and now i'm saying it's a good idea that they're doing research and i'll tell you why historically the drugs that we've used for sleep they've been uh, benzodiazepines or non-benzodiazepine hypnotics these beat the crap out of sleep. They make you sleep, but they don't give you great quality sleep. It's right. better than the Benzos were. So the Restorils and the Valiums of the world almost destroyed your sleep. They kind of anesthetized you. The mm. Ambulins, Lunestas, Sonatas, uh, you know, uh, those of the world, those aren't as bad, but they they keep your sleep architecture kind of okay, but it's not really particularly great. What I'm excited about are there's new medications that are coming on the market that are very targeted. So for example, insomnia with anxiety is very different than insomnia with depression, right? Or insomnia due to pain, right? Mm -hmm. Or things like that. And so what we're now seeing is a a more targeted approach based on people's problems, which I think is, I think it makes sense. Um, But again, I'm not convinced that everybody needs a pill to sleep. But for those who do, I don't want you to feel bad about it or harmful about it. There's, again, many, many reasons why people would be on sleeping meds.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, on Noble Warrior, our philosophy here is hey, let's actually do it the natural way, quote unquote, first, right? Let's, just, you know, and then not to rely on pills to get that instant gratification if right. if we can. And obviously, as you said, you know, everyone is different. Sleep is very, very different, very right. complex, a lot, a lot of different variables. So quick recap the 80 20, uh, mm-hmm. to start off is is uh, consistency as well as the chronotype. Yes. Then once you get those things home, then you can play with other variables like yeah. supplements and so on and so mm-hmm. on. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what I would I would say is also just to be to be clear, most people are magnesium deficient and most people are vitamin D deficient. So it's certainly something that you're going to want to look at. And they do have a pretty significant effect on sleep.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, tactical question for you. This is something that I am curious about, and something that I quote unquote suffer from. Uh, I fall asleep fast, but staying asleep is yep. a another issue, right? So basically, five, four, five hours, then I'm up. And mm-hmm. I used to think like, okay, that means I'm just my body's done sleeping. Time to get up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the ring, I'm trying to optimize my score. So I'm trying to stay there <laughs> longer. So what should I do? Should I, uh, take mm-hmm. the honey beforehand? Should I stay asleep? Should I, you know, if, if you want to share the, the affirmation, uh, mm-hmm. that would be great.
1: So there's a lot of different things that go on when people wake up in the middle of the night. So first of all, you're not alone. Turns out it's the most popular question that I'm asked, other than what mattress should I buy? That seems to be the number one question that I'm asked. But the second one is what do I do if I wake up in the middle of the night? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of science here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna unpack a little bit of it. So as we're falling asleep, before we fall asleep, around 10 o'clock at night, our core body temperature starts to rise. Around 10:30, it hits a peak and it begins to drop. That drop, number one, is a signal to our brain to release melatonin and start the sleep process our core body temperature continues to go down, go down, go down, go down. Around three, between three and four o'clock in the morning, our core body temperature starts to take a dip and go up. Okay. And starts to rise. And as our body warms up, it gets us into lighter sleep, lighter sleep, and then eventually awake. So it's not uncommon for people at that dip point to wake up in the middle of the night. That's number one. Number two, Many people go to bed and unfortunately have to use the bathroom. Um, And that can be another big thing that happens, especially when that dip happens. Sleep actually gets lighter. It goes from a deeper stage when you're changing in this temperature into a much lighter stage. So it's easier to get aroused or to feel your bladder in the middle of the night. So again, not uncommon. A couple of tricks there is, you know, stop drinking fluids two hours before bed. If you're diabetic, that's not a good idea. Check with your doctor first. Um, Be aware of your fluid intake. That can be very, very important, uh, you know, for those awakenings in the middle of the night. Now, there's two other things that happen during that period of time that I haven't addressed. One is blood sugar, right? So I always look at what was the timing of your last meal when you're waking up at this 2.30, 3 o'clock time. Nine times out of 10, people are like, oh, I finished dinner at seven, right? And they're telling me that they're waking up at 2.30, 3 o'clock, right? If you go from seven to three o'clock, it's eight hours, All right you're out of fuel all right most people think when you go to sleep you put the car in park nothing could be further from the truth in fact rem sleep is the stage of sleep that burns the most calories so you are burning through glucose all night long and if you don't have enough fuel in the tank your brain says oh shit!" and it spikes cortisol to wake you up to go look for food and Uh... that's one of the things that i think happens in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. so What I've discovered is this stuff called guava leaf tea, Uh, not guava fruit and not guava juice, but guava leaf tea. There's at least one study to show that it helps keep your blood sugar consistent. Um, I've actually also found that raw honey can be very, very helpful, Um, not a jar but a teaspoon of raw honey. And don't get the kind that comes from the bear. You want the kind that's got the honeycomb in it. Like go to the farmer's market and get your honey. (laughs) Okay, okay? thank you. I
0: appreciate that distinction because I was thinking about the bear,
1: yeah. I know, that's why I'm telling you, go to the farmer's market. You also, by the way, you wanna get local honey if you can. The reason you want to get local honey is because of the particulates, the flowers, and all of the allergens that are in it. Your body will start to become immune to it, and it, they won't have as big an effect on congestion and things like that. So honey's got a lot of amazing medicinal purposes to it, but it's actually great for helping you with allergies as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I will admit to you that I have some patients who get the guava tea and the honey, and they put them together. Um, yeah. and they find that to be quite helpful as well. Um, also, I want to
0: mention a so, so quick, quick question yeah. there, because you said two hours, no fluid.
1: When do I ingest a uh, guava tea? In so, so in this instance, if you were waking up in the middle of the night to pee, then I would allow you to have gua- just the you know six ounce cup of guava tea about 30 minutes before bed. I'd still want you to have stopped your fluids about two hours before, but then I would have you have that guava tea. Uh, um, see, see what happens again. I don't want you to be dehydrated. I don't want you to, like, if you haven't drank enough water during the day that, you know, clearly you want to hydrate. Remember hydration does help the sleep related process. Mm, I love
0: it. I mean, I have this thing right next to my bed with the warm water. So perfect. whenever I wake up even a little bit and I feel that dehydration, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, my eyes are dry, my, my throat's is dry. Now I just took a quick swig before I go back to sleep. So it's just, yeah, and, cool.
1: it, and it's perfect. Now we've talked about situations that are remediable. Um, but there are a lot of people who wake up at two o'clock in the morning and they're fucked. They're like, this sucks, I can't go back to sleep. And they are, bing, wide awake. So let's address that as an issue as well.
0: Yeah, actually, one of my friends, he said to me, hey, CK, I sleep twice. I will wake up at four and then i work a little bit then I'll go back to sleep. So go ahead.
1: So if you look historically, that's something that we did. So when we were an agrarian society, so a farming society, when the sun went down, people would have their last meal, go to bed. They'd wake up at like two o'clock in the morning, They'd have another meal, they may have sex, they may walk around the house and talk to people, because back then you know, we, you had entire families, extended families living in the home, that kind of thing. Um, they Then they would go back to sleep, they would wake up when the sun comes up and then start their day. So historically our bodies, and we look at it um, from an evolutionary perspective, it appears as though there were two sleeps. When the industrial revolution hit and things that light bulb came about, we condensed our sleep into one sleep period during the darkness. Um, because we were able to have light on different sides of that. So it kind of changed the whole kind of structure of sort of how we look at sleep.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, totally. For sure. So when we
1: get in the middle of the night, what do we, what are the other things that we need to do? There's one thing that we haven't addressed, which is attitude. And mm. that turned out to be the most important one. So most people, when they get up in the middle of the night, they look at the clock and what do they say? What do they
0: say? Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep.
1: That's right. They say, oh, shit. And they say, fuck, I got to go to sleep. And so they try to force themselves to sleep. Exactly. And they don't. Um, all that happens is you cause autonomic arousal. You cause increase in blood pressure, increase in heart rate. The one thing that most people don't know is you want to, if you want to enter into a state of unconsciousness, you need to be at a heart rate of about 60 or below. So the object of the game in the middle of the night is to lower your heart rate to allow yourself to get back to sleep. There's a hundred different ways you can do it. You can do it with four, seven, eight breathing. You can do it with progressive muscle relaxation. There's again, lots of of tools and techniques that you can use in the middle of the night. One of the things I wanna talk about is optimism. Mm. So there's really interesting data to show that if you're positive before bed, not only do you fall asleep more quickly, but you have more positive dreams. To be fair, dude, we could all use more positive dreams right about now. Um, So I, I wanna tell people, when you look at the clock in the middle of the night and you say, oh shit, you want to flip that, OK? Instead of saying, oh, shit, you want to say, that's awesome. And I'll tell you why. Because you want to change your attitude. When you, when you look at that and you try to force yourself to sleep, it's never going to happen. There's this, another piece of data that most people don't know, which is if you're lying in bed for about an hour still awake, you still get about 20 minutes of rejuvenation, if you mm-hmm. will. From a bodily perspective you're not moving around you know your muscles are relaxed you're getting some atps flowing through there it's not a bad thing right so when you're lying there you're actually doing your body some good so that's mm-hmm. fact number one fact number two is give yourself a break okay look at the clock and say you know what i've had bad nights before and if i don't fall back asleep it's not like my head's gonna pop off i'll be able to get up and go to work it'll be shitty But I'll be able to go back to sleep the next night. And if I don't the next night, it'll probably happen the night after that. So number one, I'm not going to worry so much. Number Mm. two is Dr. Bruce told me if I lie here and rest, it's worth a little bit of sleep. So that's good for me as well. Mm. I want to think about this as an opportunity, not as something that's been taken away from me. So now I have the opportunity to take a great nap this morning and fall back asleep. And if I do, that's awesome. And if I don't, I know I'll survive. Mm. What we've discovered by teaching people how to tell themselves this in the middle of the night is it lowers their anxiety? It lowers their heart rate, and the natural sleep process takes back over, and they fall back asleep. So I, avoid that.
0: I I almost wonder if there, there could be uh, an an app or just a soundtrack, just you know, the, the very soothing, affirming that hey, it's okay. Right. Exactly as you said, you know, I love your, that idea. your voice. Yeah. Um, cool. Is there any so so one? I, I noticed one one other common question that a lot of people ask you is this whole idea of i can shut up my brain before i go to bed now this yeah. the younger ck would definitely affirm to it luckily i i, I now have my spiritual practices so i don't sure. encounter that as much i go to sleep early but um but what would you say to those that you know have a very busy mind the mental chatters and they just yeah. you know can't shut it off
1: yeah so that's the third most popular question that i mm-hmm. get asked which is how do i turn off my brain at night um and um so to be fair Um, there's a lot of things that you can, there's a lot of things that people do that force their brain to keep thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite techniques is what I call a power down hour. So if you know what your bedtime is and you go back an hour, you can chop that time up into three 20 minute segments Mm -hmm. and you can really give yourself a much better shot at falling asleep and getting those thoughts out of your brain um, that are making it difficult for you. So 20 minutes for you know just shit you gotta do. 20 minutes for hygiene and then 20 minutes for some form of meditation, relaxation, prayer, yoga, stretching, whatever slows you down, right, and helps you get there, right? And so for people who are forcing sleep, what's usually happening is they're saying, they're looking at their watch and they're saying, oh, shit, I got to get up at six. Oh, shit, I got to get up at six. I better go to bed. It's 11. Oh, no, I better go to bed. It's 12. Oh, crap. Now I better go to bed. It's one, right? And that's what happens. And you're toast at that point right? Because you, you're working yourself up. I promise you from a performance standpoint, the data is incredibly clear, go to bed, you will have better ideas, you will calculate better, you will think better with rest, you know, and so getting people to kind of understand that is going to be is going to be, you know, important
0: yeah for sure um plus you're a much better uh more pleasant person to be around as yeah. we know as just when you're people like pleasant
1: people so if you want to be quote unquote successful in the world yeah i do want to tell you about a cool hacking device that works with this whole brain thing if you want to if you want to hear about it please please of course it's called the ebb versa cool drift ebb it's by ebb therapeutics okay so Interesting. So, Dr. Eric Nofsinger, who's a very famous sleep researcher, was a neurologist, and he was studying this phenomenon of this can't turn off your brain. And mm. uh, he would—he had been an ER doc early in his career. And one of the things that happens in the ER is um, if somebody cracks their head open, they actually wrap their head in ice. Um, it's called the neuroprotective effect of cold, and so mm. it just flows down the blood flow, the cerebrospinal fluid, so that way you know you don't have massive problems, you know, while you're basically patching somebody up, right? Mm-hmm. So he knew about this neuroprotective effect of cold. And he, he was doing MRI studies on insomniacs and watching the blood flow across the frontal part of their brain. And for the people who said they couldn't turn off their brain, they were right. They mm-hmm. had increased blood flow in the frontal cortex, right? So he remembered this neuroprotective effect of cold and he developed. It took him five years, but he figured out the right temperature and the right temperature flow and dynamics throughout the evening. You mm. wear this device on your head. I have one here at my house. I use mm. it nightly. I fucking mm. love it. Okay, really, it's amazing. You put it on your head and it cools your forehead. I I gave it to one. I gave it to a guy that you know probably, and he turned to me and he said he put it on and he tried to watch television and he kid could, he couldn't focus on the television and just fell asleep. <laughs> it was so awesome. Sounds like a miracle device. I, to be honest with you, I, so here's the issue that I had with it is they brought it to me and they said, Michael, we want you to endorse this device. And I was like, I, I don't have that problem. Um, and I don't even know if this works. And they were like, we want to give you one and we want We want you to try it out. And I was like, okay. And so I put it on and I clicked it on. I woke up six and a half hours later, literally hadn't moved a muscle. mm. So that was weird. So then I took it off the next night, and I had my normal sleep. And mm. I put it on the third night. You know what it's like, CK, when you wake up and you just say, damn, I got a great night's sleep? Yes. Well, it happens rarely, but yes. That's what happened to me after wearing this device for a couple of days. Huh. And I was shocked. And again, I don't have the problem. I'm not the guy that says I can't turn off my brain at night. Yeah. But I used this device and I woke up and what I felt like was my sleep was solid, was consolidated, like it just hit the marks exactly where I needed it to. And I found that to be very helpful for several different people. So um, I, I'm, I, I, I do endorse the product. They do get paid by the company, FYI. But I'm here to tell you, my wife asked me to borrow mine and I said no. Yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> Not even for your wife. Yep, my oh
0: my gosh. That's uh, a, that, that's a funny conversation. I, 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 I'm curious about, but, um, I'm watching the time, so I can't speak for you. I, I definitely want to speak to you for, for hours, but we're, we're a limited amount of time. So quick, curious note, kind of thinking about all the new technologies, right? So, uh, a few years ago, it was all about like Red Bulls, five-hour energy, yeah. and then the, these, today, these days is you know, calm.com, AS- ASMR, sleep supplements, CBD, yeah. CBN, all yeah. that stuff. What is the big things on sleep that we should pay attention to as a way to improve our sleep effectiveness and sleep efficiency, other than that device that you just mentioned?
1: You know, there's, so here's the thing, is there's all kinds of different things looking at temperature regulation. So if if you're a biohacker and you really want to start to zone in, temperature regulation, I think, is a is a place that you can you can find a home and and really start to improve the quality of your sleep. Because remember, your sleep cycle follows your core body temperature cycle. So knowing and understanding more about that and devices that work there can be helpful. So like there's a there's this thing called a chili pad. This is a pad that you place underneath your sheet and it can run warm water or cold water through it. That can be something that's interesting. To be fair, I know I keep beating the dead horse, but chronotypes, 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 that's absolutely. Right, that's 80-20 for sure. Yeah, you know, like that's really going to make a massive difference for you um, if, if you're able to to follow it. For folks out there who are still struggling with getting, with getting to sleep or staying to sleep, um, there are some herbal supplements that can be beneficial. Um, I've done deep dives on many different ingredients out there, so please feel free to head on over to my website, which is thesleepdoctor.com. If you go to the blogs, I've got 800 blogs in there of questions people have asked me. I've done monographs on ingredient profiles. There's more in there about melatonin, you know, um, PEMF, ASMR. Like I've researched and looked at the science behind all of these things. So whatever you see out there, there's a reasonable likelihood I've t- I've probably covered it, but I do want to challenge all of your listeners that if you do have some interesting new ideas surrounding sleep, feel free to email me or email CK, and we'll come back on and answer your questions and, you know, talk about some of your sleep rituals and let you know how they make sense, how they may not, and different things you can do.
0: Hey, Michael, I just really want to acknowledge you for, and you know what, one last question. Okay. Sure. You are more than just a sleep doctor, because we have mentioned many times how sleep impacts relationships, couple yes. relationships. Actually, uh, one other thing I also want to ask you—if I forgot to ask—you had talked about how you best console couples with opposite sleep cycles who yes. want to also have sex as well. So, right. what is that thing that that you hinted but never shared <laughs> sure. on sure. your TED talk?
1: Absolutely. So everybody wants to know what's the best time to have sex. So let's talk about it so it turns out it's all biological so you need five hormones to successfully have intercourse you need estrogen progesterone testosterone um you need cortisol and adrenaline all to be high and you need melatonin the sleep hormone to be low so we did a survey and we discovered that 73 percent of people have sex between 10 and 11 o'clock at night okay i'll give you one guess what your hormone profile looks like your melatonin is high And all the other hormones that you want are actually low. So that's hint number one. Hint number two, what do most men wake up with in the morning? An erection. Yeah. Morning wood. Exactly. So if that's not Mother Nature telling you when to use that thing, I'm not sure what is. Right? Most women are not um, interested in sex, not because they have a headache. It's because they're too fucking tired. Like many, many people are very exhausted at the end of the day and not necessarily interested in in having sex and so when we look at it from like what is the quote best time believe it or not it's morning um you, we see better performance we see longer erections and we see better connection with your partner so it's pretty interesting but the big question that people always have is well wait a second if i'm dating an early bird and i'm a night owl like how does that work like it's easy when we're both early birds or when we're both night owls but what happens with the difference there so i actually created a matrix in my book where you can put your, so I've got male on one side, female on the other side. And then I've also created multiple um, for uh, lesbian couples and for homosexual couples because the hormones are different and matrices there based on your chronotype. So it's not as complicated as it sounds. I give an early morning time for sex and then an early evening time that works out perfectly from a hormonal standpoint based on the two chronotypes.
0: So a quick follow-up question there, then we'll complete. That is... Scientifically, logically, makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. How do you enroll your partner to say, hey, let's do that in the morning. That, that would be the next thing, right? So does, do you have any suggestions there?
1: Absolutely. So this actually turns out to be a lot of fun because it becomes an adventure, right? And so what a lot of people will do is they say, hey, I just took my chrono quiz and I'm a this chronotype. You take your chrono quiz and what your chronotype is and it will actually teach us A lot of different things about ourselves our sleep schedule when to drink coffee when to drink alcohol things like that and and usually the partner's like oh well that sounds kind of interesting and then they they pose the sex question and they say actually also one of the other things is it talks about how there are better times to have sex and one of those times is in the morning time now what's really interesting for most guys is they don't realize it but a lot of women would actually prefer to have sex in the morning time um, and so this actually turns out to be quite an invitation. And so a lot of times um, your partner, whether it's a you know, same-sex partner or opposite-sex partner, actually may like that idea, mm. right? And, it, and it's a great conversation starter, right? Because yeah. you can say, well, I've got this chronotype and you've got this chronotype. What do you, how do you think we should do that? And, it's, mm. and it opens up the door for a really fun, interesting conversation. And so what I tell people all the time is try it. Yeah. Right, I'm giving you the I'm giving you the prescription for having sex in the morning. So all of the listeners out there, I want you to try having sex in the morning for the next week and let me know if it's any better or any worse.
0: Right. Michael Bruce, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. I mean, I could literally talk to you for hours, but I'm also watching the time, so I want to take a few moments to just really acknowledge you, Michael. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your your expertise, your knowledge, your wisdom generously to my listeners, and really get into not just the philosophical, the framework, but also the tactical, right? And I also want to acknowledge you for saving people's sleep, saving people's, you know, inner peace, you know, their cognitive ability, but ultimately saving their lives. Because I have stared at, I mean, that's a whole other story. I accidentally stabbed myself because I fell asleep doing a a laboratory section. Oh my gosh. luckily I'm here. So hallelujah, Yeah, God bless but um yeah and also saving uh, people's relationship so just you know thank you so much for the work that you do really acknowledge you thanks i appreciate you